welcome everybody. Welcome to this morning. Um, uh, my name is Dan. If I haven't met you before, it's nice to see you. It's nice to have you here together uh, at Epson Girls Grammar for our 10 a.m. gathering. Uh, our church has a couple of gatherings that happen on a Sunday. We've got another one at 4 p.m. this afternoon at Community Hall in Grey Lynn. And uh, we've got a new Lynn gathering that's going to be starting in a couple more weeks too. So it's nice to have you here today at this one. It's good to have you here. Um, we are doing a series at the moment called Matter Matters. And as Alicia said before, over on the desk by the door, you can grab one of these little books that we've made to go with this series. If you haven't got one yet, there's just some beautiful little devotional ideas running through it and some stunning photography, some stunning creativity from uh, one of our couples here in this community. Um, and if you've been following along, you'll know that at week seven, which is the week we're in now, we've got to the idea of our beautiful earth. If, if materiality matters, if this physical world that we're in matters when it comes to being people who follow Jesus, people of the Jesus way, if we're trying to remove that dualistic mindset that we often live in and we're trying to get rid of that split between sort of soul and body, soul and physical things, then, um, then we have to become people who realize that the earth, the earth is important in all of this. The world matters. It's beautiful. It's God's. And it matters. And so today we're going to be talking about this. And um, I actually want to invite you to um, kind of continue part two of a conversation I started this year with someone at a wedding. Uh, today, I'm not going to be doing the talking. I'm going to be doing a lot of the listening with you, and I'm going to be interviewing someone from our community. Her name is Michelle Kennedy. Michelle is the founder of Six Generations Limited, and she is the creator of an up of upcoming Auckland Climate Festival 2021. And um, Michelle has been part of this community for quite some time but took a little hiatus in the middle to, to shoot off to London. Uh, and she's back and it's wonderful to have her back. But I met Michelle properly at a wedding this year and over the conversation, uh, in a conversation between the ceremony and the reception, as you do, we kind of got talking, and we got talking about what she does and what she's passionate about, and this huge conversation erupted about climate justice and, and her part in that in the city and what she wants to see happen. And I thought, man, as we came into this series and we started thinking about how to talk about creation and our beautiful earth, she, she's the voice to hear from today. So I want you to welcome uh, Michelle Kennedy. You want to come and join me, Michelle? Come and join us. Yeah. No, my hi there, my. Let's just do a quick test of that microphone. Is it on? Check one, Hello. two. Go again. Yeah. Go again. Hello. Go again. Kia ora. Kia ora. There we go. <laughs> we got it. You can hear that at the back. Kia ora. Good. Oh, that was loud. Okay. Well, um, kia ora, Michelle. Do you want to introduce yourself ora, for a little bit more? Go for it. <laughs> sure. Go for it. Welcome. Kia ora, Tefano. Um, ko Rangatoto te Maunga. Ko Waitemata te Moana. No Tamaki Makoto Aho. Ko Kennedy, Taku Fano, and Ko Michelle, Taku Ingawa. So, hey everyone, uh, I'm Michelle Kennedy, and that was quite the introduction. Thank you, Dan. Well, I have here a little soundbite from your website actually um, about what Climate Fest um, 2021 is all about. Can I, I? I wonder if I just might read this, just a little snapshot for Go people for to it. know. Yeah. yeah. So, you, you guys have written this. We are in a climate emergency. And we must watch this with immediate, ambitious, and bold cross-sector behavior change to have real impact. In Aotearoa, we have demonstrated our ability to work as a team for our greater well-being against COVID-19. We must apply this collaboration to the climate crisis. 
Auckland Climate Festival 21 is a platform to bring all of us together to share knowledge and resources, to make ourselves resilient and to harness the benefits of a just transition to the economic, social and environmental impacts of climate change. That's what you get out of bed for? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it sure is. Yeah. That is awesome. Quite a mouthful, eh? <laughs> That's awesome. It's awesome. So um, why does it matter to you? What, what, is this, what does this all matter for? Well, to give you a bit of context as well to this, so my background is in urban and transport planning. Uh, so I, um, I previously was living in London, as Dan mentioned before, and um, while I was over there, I, um, I was working for a company called Arup and ended up uh, being in a, in a role um, leading London Climate Action Week. Um, so a week-long uh, festival getting all of society together for climate action. Um, and I was really kind of inspired by the momentum around it um, and, um, and how you know, bringing people together um, could really create some significant change. Um, and I've been fortunate throughout my career as well to be uh, exposed to a lot of um, amazing, um, incredible thought leaders in this space, um, incredible scientists who are kind of at the cutting edge of climate change, um, not only in kind of the problems around it and um, articulating what those are, but also in the solutions. Um, so I feel really fortunate to have done that. And then um, on a personal level as well, um, I guess, I've been interested in climate change and the environment for a long time. And when I was a teenager, I sailed competitively. And um, I, when I was sailing in a regatta um, in South Korea, when I was about 15 or 16, I ended up getting really sick um, because of the pollution there while I was sailing. Um, and I guess it really just opened my eyes up to uh, the impacts that pollution um, can have on um, on us as individuals, you know, and that in my case it was on my on my health. So, so yeah, there's a number of different reasons why it matters for me. And I guess this series has been trying to ground us in a Christ-centered view of materiality. It's been trying yeah. to get us to see a biblical picture yep. and how we can live that out. So you've you've just shared a beautiful personal story and a bit of um, your experience. But like, what? Why does this matter in a in a more biblical sense or a bit of an imagination for this? Like, what what's been going on in your story that means you get out of bed and you're passionate about this? What, what's been forming? Yeah, totally. That? Um, so I guess all throughout the Bible, there is a narrative that God really cares for creation, right? Um, so if we look at Genesis 1, where God calls it good, um, that's a great starting point for us. So I'll just unpack that, if I may, for a moment from a theological perspective. So what does good actually look like? What does it actually mean? Um, the... The creation story is about not necessarily the, um, the earth coming into being in those four days from a material materiality perspective um, in the seven days, but actually the functions of earth um, being created by God. So um, days one to three are about um, God bringing in the functionality of time, of weather, of food, so basically all of the things that sustain life on earth for us as humans. And then days four to six are about, um, I guess they call it the functionaries, but um, the beings that um, inhabit those, um, inhabit earth. Um, so well, for an example, there's also the moon, which um, 
makes time make sense, like gives effect to that. That's quite hard to explain. Good, <laughs> I'm doing, doing an good. okay job. Um, and then obviously there's humans, um, and so uh, we are, um, and we are given a special role as well um, in the whole creation story. I'll get to that in a sec. But basically, just to summarize what I just said, um, God has created these functions of the earth, and they are there not for his benefit, but for ours to sustain our lives, um, to give us food, to give us clean water, um, you know, to give us the air that we can breathe. And when you look at it from a scientific perspective, um, looking at the Earth's systems, it's actually just phenomenal how, um, how perfectly designed it has been. You know, even a change of temperature, which we're all familiar with, um, even just a change of that one degrees can kind of throw things off significantly and impact how we can live on this Earth. So, um, yeah, and then... Uh, kind of going on from that, um, God also has chosen to dwell in this place he calls good. He's not just away in the ether, um, but actually chooses to dwell in amongst and be with us as we co-create, um, as we create communities, as we design cities and all these things. He actually cares for that and is in the operations of that with us, which is pretty phenomenal, I think, too. And it's a beautiful yeah. theological vision. And what else has sort of unraveled out of that story for you? What other things have kind of filled your imagination? Yeah, um, so leading on from that is, like I mentioned before, um, that humans have a special place in that story. So we're set apart from, say, birds and animals, for example, and we are um, we're given the kind of ordained the responsibility of being kaitiakis, so, you know, to actually care for and steward for the earth that we've been gifted. Um, so again, that to me is pretty significant. Um, and, um, and also it runs through, throughout the rest of the Bible, so not just in Genesis, but, um, you know, we, hear, we have so much hope in that God, um, Christ comes to reconcile us with God and with creation. And then throughout... Um, all the way, fast forward to Revelation, we have so much hope in knowing that um, there's redemption um, of this earth and we are invited um, to play our role uh, with God in that restoration. So, yeah. <laughs> it's grand. It's yep. grand. Any other stuff that's filling the ideas here for you? What's that, sorry? Any other ideas that are filling that imagination for you? Um... I guess for me, it's quite um, it's quite special to be living in New Zealand, where in Aotearoa, where the um, Te Ao Māori worldview encompasses these concepts that we're talking about. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, the concept of world being uh, sorry, uh, well being, whereby the earth and the the natural environment is inextricably linked to us as humans and where the health of the planet underpins the health of us as individuals, of societies, of economies. Um, they kind of get that. Yeah. Um, and so I think um, that's also really special to me and that we actually are living in a context where we, um, where we can learn uh, from, um, from the Māori worldview, from Mātauranga Māori, the, the knowledge that's been built up over years. Mm. 
Um, yeah, and we can kind of lean into that. It's a greater connection, isn't it? It's a more connected view and a more connected life. Yeah. So, okay, that, that's some beautiful imagination stuff of like why this matters, but some cold hard facts. How are we actually doing? Like, how, how are we doing at looking after this world? How are we doing at being kaitiaki? How are we doing at, uh, I don't know, taking this gift that God's given us mm. and stewarding it well? What, what's some, uh, wake us up a little bit if mm. you could. Well, as you guys probably all know, um, we're not doing a great job at this, um, unfortunately. So um, just to put things in context, so I was born in 1988, so 32 years ago. Um, and in 1988, uh, the world reached, we reached 30, 350 parts per million, uh, which essentially means um, that's the safe level of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, um, considered you know, by scientists to be that amount. And we, we passed that amount 32 years ago. And since then, we have created and now I'm getting emotional. This is it. This is emotional. <laughs> I have tissues, which is good. Um, so we have created, um, generated over half of the total emissions in the last 32 years uh, compared to the last 250 years, if that makes sense. So really, the, the amount of emissions that we've produced globally has really accelerated in that time period. Um, we are also, you've all, heard about the 1.5 degrees um, target. So that essentially is, um, again, it's, it's, it's the temperature rise from 1990 levels that we can get to to remain within a safe operating space for humanity as well. Um, we're currently at 1.1 degrees um, and we are on track to a three to four degree world by 2050. So it's pretty significant. Um, and in terms of just a little bit more science for you um, before we move on, um, we, so, so cities around the world are given carbon budgets, so it's essentially what our allocation is in terms of what carbon we can produce um, over the next 50 years. And um, in terms of Auckland, we are set to exceed our carbon budget within the next seven to eight years. So yeah, it's a pretty major issue. Um, and so I guess what that means for our kids, say, is um, with current business as usual anyway, we're, um, that will result in 1.2 metres sea level rise within the lifetime of our kids, um, which, as you can imagine, that's, that's pretty significant. Um, and then combined with that, more extreme droughts, more extreme uh, weather events in general, which then opens up the door for... Um, contamination of waters, impacts on our health and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, and globally, I guess just to finish off some stats, we, 70% um, of global wildlife populations um, have been, are gone now, and um, over 40% of forests have as well, and that's accelerating, so... Yeah, it's a, it, is, it does sound like a pretty dire situation. It, it does sound dire, but you've been stressing <laughs> to me since we talked at the wedding that, that the, that's not your motivator. No. And like you, you are motivated by a hope yep. rather than just how bad things are. So could we change gear off the, that picture yep. and go, <laughs> okay, let's talk big picture. What, what does a more hopeful vision look like here? So what, what do we need to do? 
um, to, to an, yeah, to an, enact a bit of creation care, a bit of creation justice? What does that need to look like? How, how, can a, how can a Christian start to engage in this stuff? So, big picture. Totally. I'm very happy to move on. <laughs> um, so first, what is creation care? What is creation justice? For those of you that aren't kind of familiar with the term, essentially it means stopping all of the activities that we're currently doing that are bad for the environment and for us, uh, and then working with God to help restore things. Um, so that's kind of at the, at the simplistic level what that means. Yeah. I guess um, we can think about that in in a number of different ways. So firstly, it's important to think about what is the future that we want? Um, What is the future that we hope for? And so how can we come together to actually imagine that collectively? And we've, um, you know, as Christians, we've got the Bible, we've got a pretty good place to start. So (laughs) we're very fortunate um, in that respect. And then in order, how do we actually get to that place? Um, So that takes place in a number of different ways. One is at the broader systems level change. So the systems that, um, that underpin the functioning of our society. So our food systems, for example, our transport systems, energy systems, the way that we um, use land. Um, how can we, well essentially we need to radically transform these systems within the next decade. Um, and so, and there's a lot we can do there from a policy perspective, um, as citizens demanding change or you know, supporting change. Um, and then that leads to the other end of the spectrum where we've got individual action. So um, we, there's a number of different, you know, there are lots of things we can do as individuals that might seem like small things, but they actually all add up collectively. So again, you know, taking, let's say, food for, as an example. Food is actually the... Um, the biggest way we can create a positive change uh, with respect to climate change. Um, So the transformation of our food systems will take us a huge way, um, right from um, food production through to consumption and then waste, looking at circular economy and so on. And Walter uh, Brueggemann talks about that a lot in in the book we've been reading as a church. Um, And so, you know, as individuals we can we can change our diets to a plant-based diet, um, for example. Um, and then as part of that whole thing, um, we need to think about climate justice, which is kind of the whole point of this. So um, just acknowledging that this transition, where we're transitioning towards the systems of our society fundamentally changing, um, is going to result in, well, it could result and those that are already disproportionately impacted by the effects of climate change, um, where they're going to be more impacted. Um, So I guess we have a role, it's called technically the just transition. So as we're transitioning, how can we actually reduce inequalities? How can we be mindful of of people that are currently marginalised, that might be more marginalised throughout, you know, um, changing economies and so on? and yeah, look beyond ourselves and um, and consider it that way. So yeah, social justice being kind of um, as much of an issue as environmental as the environmental side of things. Mm. Yep. Yeah. You um you share with me like five levers. Five oh, yes. levers. Do you can you remember them off the top of your head? <laughs> I don't know. Like, am I throwing? I, hope I'm, not, I hope I'm not throwing you a wobbly <laughs> pass here, but. Um, 
Can you remember some of those five levers just to share with people who are like wanting to th stretch, yep. stretch their thought about here on this one? Not in my notes, but I can. <laughs> give it a try. Just give it a try. Okay, so as I mentioned before, food is uh, one of the main levers. Um, and um, at a bigger picture, that's actually changing our behaviours, so significant behaviour change. Um, one is radically reducing our emissions, um, not only carbon um, dioxide, but the other uh, emissions as well, methane and so on. Um, uh, what is another one? <laughs> I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. That's all right. Oh, I can't remember. That's all right. Sorry. It's okay. I, threw, I thought I, that was a bit too technical. I threw, for I threw your wobbly pass there. That was, that's the interviewer's <laughs> fault, that one. Yeah. That's all right. Yeah. Um, so there's this big systematic stuff. Yeah. And then there's this more personal thing. Yeah. I guess the question that I'm sort of sitting with as we've been talking is, I'm a disciple of Jesus. And as a disciple of Jesus, he invites me into a way of living my life. So therefore, what kind of practices, what kind of ways can I go about intentionally living my day-to-day -day life, mm. knowing that somewhere in the sort of the back of the reasons of why, one of the things could be because, Dan, you're actually taking the earth more seriously if you're doing this, this, and this. You're, you're, you're helping to practice his way of making all things new if you do this, this, or this. Yeah. Um, would there be, rather than the sort of big, grand, systematic stuff, mm -hmm. would there be maybe some more personal, intimate things for you that are like, man, if, if, every, if every Christ follower did some of these things, yeah. we could see some serious change here, and, and it, would be, it would benefit us. So, anything there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think, first up, and I think this is what we just spoke about when we, um, when we were at the wedding, <laughs> um, is just the fact that we actually need to just acknowledge the reality of the situation. And I think that's a very um, biblical thing to do based on what I've just, just talked about. Um, and we need to do so with wisdom. So when you unpack what wisdom actually is, it's about acknowledging the reality and acknowledging our reality in relation to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So what's happened before us and the hope that we have in the future. Um, and the fact that um, we've got the Holy Spirit to kind of be doing this with. Um, so for me, that is really important um, as individuals and as a church, <clears throat> a body of believers. Um, too often I, I hear people that are just despondent um, and often, you know, and sometimes they're Christians and it just, um, yeah, I think we just need to take that really seriously. Um, and remember that this place that we're living in is has been gifted to us. Um, so again, looking back at the Genesis, the story of Genesis, um, we've, yeah, God has actually created this for us. Mm. It's gifted. Um, I think um, we need to, so I've talked about kind of the, the things, the bad things that are happening and that are going to happen. Um, and essentially we need to accept that there will be pain and suffering and there will be grief and um, you know we can totally take action now and I'll get to that in a sec but um, there's a lag time between us taking action in this window now and then the sure. positive impacts of that taking place so um, I think we just as Christians um, just getting alongside people, particularly those that are actually currently being affected by climate change now, of which there are many. Take our Pacific neighbours, for example. Um, so really just as a church, um, 
looking out and seeing what need there is um, and getting alongside people in that way. Uh, and then also on that note, practically actually making sacrifices and, um, and actually reframing what the expectations are that we have for our future. Um, so yes, I have, you know, there is a story of hope and we will finish on that, don't worry. Uh, <laughs> um, but in order to get to that place, we, as, as human beings, we do need to, to change our behaviours. You know, we might not be able to get the quarter acre, have the quarter acre dream anymore. Um, we might need to think differently about our purchasing habits, um, how, you know, if we're buying a house, can we get something a little bit more compact, something more smaller? Um, can we bike or, or uh, walk to work, for example? All these little things actually make a really huge difference. Um, and then on that note, just we need to act as one body. So actually uh, getting alongside each other, having these sorts of discussions and figuring it out together and actually encouraging one another to, uh, to, to act in this way. Uh, and, and work through the nitty gritty together because it is hard and it is emotional. When I was practicing this, I actually cried because it is it is really emotional. It does really hit home. Yeah. So yeah. You were sharing with me when we were prepping this about um, a little devotional journey you'd taken. Mm. Do you want to just share a little bit about that as well? Again, I'm throwing you a slightly That's okay. wobbly pass, <laughs> but um, yeah, th- sure. Um, so there's a book. Um, called Spiritual Disciplines for Christians or something like that. I'll follow that up. <laughs> Wonderfully vague Really, title. really, uh, yeah. yeah, great memory here. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, so there is a section in there about um, creation and caring for creation, and they've got some really wonderful um, reflection questions, which um, do just kind of hit home. Um, and I was just really encouraged that the book actually had this in there for a start, that it was actually a spiritual discipline in and of itself. Um, and so some of the questions that are in there are, um, say, reflect on what your view is on environmentalists, on developers, uh, you know, on politicians. Um, yeah, actually just creating space to do some self-reflection, and I think that for me was really helpful as well. Um, and um, yeah, it, it also helped create the space to ask questions about what I was doing in my everyday life. Um, and also one thing I haven't spoken about yet is um, it really encouraged me um, to look at the joy and the, the wonder and beauty of, um, of the earth and actually you know, be encouraged to keep spending time um, in creation because um, that's, you know, where we see God, we see his amazing design um, and we can, yeah, meet him in that place. Um, I think that's really important. So, yeah. I remember when we were talking about that thing of um, disciplines, you know, one of the things I always try to remind people about if we talk about disciplines, spiritual practices, is half of the practices are about abstaining, about going away from something, and the other half are about engagement, engaging in something. And I think that this this whole topic today is actually like one of those, you're gonna feel the tension of both of those things a lot, eh? You're gonna to have to do some fasting, you're gonna to have to do some pulling back from behaviors. Uh, but then there's actually, there's a beautiful thing of, of actually engaging, pushing in, um, a bit of activism, a bit of, a bit of um, you know, making intentional choices that is actually an important spiritual practice. So I just find it that within this topic, there's actually this kind of 
almost this little micro world of we're going to practice both of those things. And I think your point about grief, um, about this thing of suffering and the lag time, that's a really profound thought today. Just to consider like, man, how many times in our lives do we engage in a spiritual practice of fasting? And it just takes a long time before the fruitfulness from that starts to show up, right? Like we actually, we, commit, we make these commitments to things of spiritual practices and it takes a while before the fruit starts to come. And I think it's just, if we could kind of let that sink in as a bit of a bigger picture today in this topic, um, maybe we'll treat ourselves with a bit more grace and treat ourselves a bit kinder and have and grace for others. Um, I feel like there's an urgency and the urgency feels overwhelming sometimes. But actually in the urgency, we're invited to just take the next step of obedience, practice some simple things and, and, and keep on going. Would that be fair to say? Mm, yeah, totally. Fair yeah. to say? Well, well, let's finish this with some last thoughts on hope. What's, what's a hopeful picture for this, Michelle? Yeah, well, it's interesting you talk about the, um, that tension. I think you described that really well. Um, when I, so I studied environmental science and geography uh, in my undergraduate degree and also business at the same time, so lots of competing thoughts going on. Um, and, you know, we learned about climate change back then, that it was real, happening, but it wasn't mainstreamed at that point. You know, there wasn't a lot of, um, there were only kind of the committed few that were <laughs> acknowledging that it was a thing. Mm. Um, and so I spent a lot of time throughout my 20s feeling really depressed because I, I did lack, lack that hope. It was hard to, even though I knew that it was there, it was quite hard to see that. Sure. But I think the, the hope for me now, and um, I mean it was there all along, but the great thing now is that um, we have, there is so much momentum around this now. Um, the science uh, tells us both what the issues are, we have a lot of clarity over that, mm. um, but also that the solutions already exist for it. So it's really just about people coming together and, and doing it, yeah. <laughs> getting on with it. Yeah. Um, so for me, that is really hopeful. And you know, in, in my job, what I'm doing at the moment, um, I've been talking to amazing people that are so focused on this and there's billions of dollars being spent on this globally so we have you know there's a, a lot of momentum we have a lot of hope for that um you know on friday i was talking to one of new zealand's um best kind of st storytellers um he, um yeah he puts on a lot of productions and um is kind of the genius behind a lot of the festivals that we have um, and we're looking to partner with him um, because he's really passionate about this and um, is keen to help bring storytelling into this whole thing because um, that's really what will uh, shift the dial on our behaviours. Um, anyway, so for me, there was hope in that too, you know, like arts and culture really getting behind this and there's, um, yeah, there, like there are lots of different parts of society that are really getting on board. Um, and so I guess I hope that, my hope is that you'd all feel hope around it. Um, you'd all kind of take this upon yourself to learn, um, to become kind of literate in this space. There's a lot of great resources out there. I can share them if you'd like afterwards. Um, and my hope is that as a church, we actually you know, choose to lead in this space. So when we're thinking about um, you know, say, us moving into a new church, for example, how can we actually think about that with this lens? Yes. Um, what can we do in our weeks um, as, a, as a body of Christ um, in the climate justice space, for example? Yeah. 
um, yeah, hopefully I've kind of <laughs> helped capture your imaginations around what it is actually possible yeah. around that. Thank you, Michelle. Michelle, if people wanted to check out the stuff you're doing with Six Generations, what should they do? Where should they go? Do you have any on-ramps there? Yeah, sure. Um, so, thank you. That's right. Uh, so, we've just launched our website. That's very nice. <laughs> www.acf21.co.nz. It's Auckland Climate Festival um, 2021. Or just reach out to me directly. Um, there are loads of opportunities to get involved. I would love for the church to get involved. It's a, um, the festival is taking place in October. It's a three-week festival um, intended to be a whole-of-society response to the climate emergency. Um, in London, for example, they did a, um, a multi-faith gathering um, where they did kind of a pilgrimage of sorts around the city to different sacred spaces. And, you know, so that's something that we could consider doing. There are many different ways in which the church itself can lead and get involved and help shape the narrative around this in our city. Beautiful. And as we go as a community to live light and salt into our city, what's one little challenge you could give us just as we all walk out the door? What should we, what should we think about as we go home this afternoon? Give us, give us one little thing. <laughs> think about what you eat. Great. That ties really beautifully to a couple of weeks ago when we talked about food and consumption and we talked about that as a, as a practice. Beautiful. Thank you, Michelle. Could we give her a round of applause and say thank you? And um, we're going we're gonna to finish today by um, singing together one last moment. We're going to sing one of the songs we've already sung today a little bit longer, just a, a few more, um, I don't know, a few more pieces of that song again. I think what's so important to this conversation today was that, yes, there can be a lot of doom and gloom, but actually the participating in the kingdom of God means we participate in a kingdom of hope. And we want to invite you to see that there's a hopeful story in this to live, and there's something that we are engaging in. Um, we stretch forward to it eagerly. And we've been singing this song as a church since Easter called All Things Rise, and it's a song of hope. It's literally the songwriter who wrote this song sat down with Tom Wright, surprised by hope, and was like, I want to write that into a song. So we're singing a rich theological vision, vision as we sing this song. But also we're singing the story of Christianity lived in the world, that we are embodying God's work of making all things new. So it too, stand with us. And uh, Donald and Francis is going to lead us a little bit longer, just a few more, few more things through the song, and uh, then I will bless you and send you out for the Sunday afternoon. <laughs>